Well, she walks out of her office for the last time. She heads over to the conference room, has some coffee and cake. People say a few nice words. And then she heads to her car and drives off. Her mind, her thoughts begin to drift towards her new job, her new position. She's so excited about this new chapter and what the future holds. But after a few minutes, uh, as typically is the case, her mind begins to drift back to her previous position in the job that she'd been in for this past 10 plus years. And then more importantly, she begins to think about her coworkers, her now former coworkers. She thinks about how much she actually really enjoyed them. She liked talking to them, she enjoyed having them in her life, but then she realizes she never really knew them. She didn't invest much in them, she, she never invited them into her life, she certainly never opened up about her faith. And as she drives, she thinks to herself, well, I hope I was at least a positive influence. I think for so many of us, if we're a follower of Christ, that is the crux of our attempt at reaching people for Jesus. I hope I was a positive influence. This is the biggest ask that Jesus makes, to reach people with the message of hope. And yet we're apprehensive, we're unsure, we don't know what it means to live on mission, and so we spend our lives with people, in, in relationship with people, and we think, I just hope I was some kind of positive influence. But what Jesus asks of us is so much more than that. So uh, Jesus gives um, a statement that's very um, clear and it, we call it the Great Commission. It's basically Jesus' last words. Uh, he had lived his life. He had been crucified, dead, buried, raised by the power of the Holy Spirit from the dead. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he's hanging out with his followers. It's this amazing time. They are filled with faith. They're beginning to believe that God is going to do something incredible. And he says he is going to do something incredible. And he's going to do it through you. And so this is what he tells them. He says, go and make followers of all people. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. Now, file that away. When we get further on in this series, we're going to come back to this um, because I just want to say, Jesus doesn't say, make sure everyone believes in me. He says, I want people to follow me. Part of the problem is we don't follow what Jesus asks. We just kind of believe it's nifty ideas. And so if we're going to follow what Jesus asks, then it starts with this ask. And this is a huge ask. Jesus says, I want you to reach people with the message of hope that I came to change their lives. Now, right before he makes this statement, um, he says this in the gospel or in the book of Acts. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So he's saying, I want you to share your faith, to be witnesses to all those that you come in contact with. So part of, I believe, what makes uh, fulfilling the Great Commission in our lives seem big, seem overwhelming, maybe seem like I don't really think I can make much of a dent in this, is because we focus on that last part, the ends of the earth. Listen, I believe 
in overseas missionaries, those that are cross-cultural, that go to other countries, that cross across the globe and, and uh, borders and all those type things. But for the vast majority of us, the people we're called to reach don't live on the other side of the world. They're on the other side of the fence. They're in our backyard, they're in our office, they're in our class, they're our teammates, they're in our neighborhood. It's the Jerusalem that we live, our local community. So what we have to realize is that we're not called to reach everyone, but we're called to reach someone. Beyond that, I think so often when it comes to the idea of sharing our faith, we believe that if we don't lead someone in a prayer of uh, salvation, for lack of a better term, a prayer of commitment, I'm committing my life to Jesus, a prayer of repentance. I'm asking God to forgive me for all the wrongs I did. If we're not there at that moment, then we haven't been successful in sharing our faith. But that is not what Jesus is asking. Here's what he's asking us. Jesus is not expecting you to lead everyone you meet to faith in Christ. Jesus is expecting you to show everyone you meet what faith in Christ looks like. Jesus expects that each person that comes in contact with your life will say, I can understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In other words, you're helping someone take a step closer to Jesus. It's why Jesus said at a different point, you are the light of the world. If you're my followers, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine in such a way that people will see your good works. They will see your faith being lived out in real, substantive, demonstrative ways. And they will see that and glorify your Father in heaven. They will take a step closer to Jesus. So it's what he asks of us. You don't have to reach everyone, but everyone who comes in contact with your life should say, that's what active, alive faith in someone's life looks like. And it should cause them to say, hmm, that's intriguing. They may accept it, they may reject it, that's not the issue. The issue is they saw it in your life. So Jesus, at a different point, this, these are all kind of right towards the end of, of his life, his ministry, before he ascends to the right hand of God the Father, where he's seated now um, at his right hand. These, these are all statements that Jesus made right, right around that time. And here's another one he makes in the Gospel of John. Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. In the same way that God the Father sent me to this earth to be an example, to move people into a relationship with God through my life. I came in a certain way, and the way I came is the same way I want you to live, to walk out your faith. Not in the same way the supernatural virgin birth that we celebrate at Christmas. I mean, if that's the case, we're all doomed. Not that way. How did Jesus come? He came and he invested his life. He invested in people. He cared about them. He wanted to know them. He set aside his place in heaven and took on the form of humanity and said, I'm going to lower myself. I'm going to invest in their lives. I'm going to get to know people. I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to do when I'm tired and I'm weary and I'm pressed on every side with the crushing needs of humanity and I just want to get away. I'm going to continue to meet their needs and invest in them. Even to the point where Jesus said, the last thing I want to do, I don't want to go to the cross, but Father, if you can find another way, let's, let's find it. Let's talk about it. I know we talked about this before the foundation of the earth, but let's, let's have one last conversation. If there's any other way, 
but not what I want. I will invest my life. I will give up my very life because I love hurting and lost humanity that much. So Jesus invested his life, but he also invited people. He invited people all the time. Come follow me, come follow me, come follow me. He invited people to come experience life with him. Here's the amazing thing. When Jesus invited someone to follow him, you know what he never did? He never made them. He just invited them. You want to come? Great. People said, no, I'm not ready. I don't want to. I don't like what you're, uh, you're offering. I'm not interested. He just let them go. He didn't chase them down, beat them over the head and say, come with me. Jesus invited them in, come eat, come, come listen to my teachings, come hear what I have to say, come experience the radical love and grace and message that I'm preaching. But he didn't make people accept it. So if Jesus said the same way that the Father sent me, I'm sending you, it means that if we're going to fulfill the great commission in our lives, the first thing we need to do is this, we need to invest in people. You need to invest in people. Now, what I mean by that is not random acts of kindness, but I'm all for that. Please hear me. I'm not saying don't do random acts of kindness. If you leave here saying, Pastor said, don't ever do anything nice for somebody, then you're not hearing what I'm saying. But what I mean by random acts of kindness are, I'm going to pay for the groceries for the, the single mom at the cash register next to me, or I'm going to... Um, Buy the, you know, pay it forward or backward or sideways. I don't know. But, you know, the person behind me, they're getting Starbucks. I'm paying for that. Um, I drive a Honda, a Hyundai um, Sonata. Nobody's ever bought my coffee at Starbucks. But if you see me sitting in Starbucks, no, uh, you know, doing those random, leaving a big, you know, $100, $200 tip for a, a $30 meal. Those random acts of kindness are wonderful. Do those things, but that's not really investing your life in people. Investing your life means I am going to uh, get to know you. I'm going to invest my life into you. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. We loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not just the gospel of God, not just a message of hope, not just faith in Christ, but our very lives as well. We invested our lives in you. It means, investing your life means talking, listening, understanding who they are. What are her dreams? What are his hurts? What's their story? What have they experienced? What do they need? How do I practically meet that need, the emotional need, the physical need? Might be financial need. Might be a relational need. Certainly, it's a spiritual need. How do we go about doing those things? If you're going to invest in people, you have to get to know them so you can meet that need where it is most pressing. I remember hearing a story. There was a, a young woman. She was living in a shelter. Um, she had just gotten out of an abusive relationship, and she, uh, she was in a hard place. She looked like she was living in a shelter. She looked like she was homeless. She was living in a shelter. She didn't have any belongings. And what she needed was help getting money for a security deposit so she could get an apartment. And so she's standing on the sidewalk, talking with someone, kind of communicating where she was in life and what she had experienced. And as they're conversing, this other woman walks by the sidewalk and kind of glances at her and does a double take and keeps walking and stop maybe, uh, I don't know, a half a block down, and there was a little coffee shop there. She goes in, 
buys a cup of coffee, comes back down the sidewalk and hands it to the woman that is uh, living in the shelter. Doesn't say a word to her, just hands it to her, turns and walks away. The woman takes the cup of coffee, kind of looks at it, shrugs her shoulders and continues the conversation. Listen to me, that's an act of kindness. It's not investing. She had no idea what that woman's name was. She didn't know if she wanted coffee, liked coffee or needed coffee. She, what she thought was, it's cold, she must want coffee. But what that woman needed was someone to hear her story and help her get a security deposit for an apartment. There's nothing wrong with buying a cup of coffee for someone, but to think, oh, I've invested my life, I hope I was a positive example, doesn't help us to take that step in fulfilling the Great Commission. So you have to invest yourself. You have to know their story and who they are which means the second part, you have to invite people. You have to invite people. Yes, you invest in people, your time, your energy, your resources, but it also means inviting them. Inviting them to what? It's not really a what, it's a who. You're inviting them to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. You're not inviting them to a, a philosophical construct. You're not inviting them to a set of beliefs. You're not inviting them to a certain way to behave. You're inviting them to a person, the person Jesus, who wants to make them into a new creation, who wants to transform their lives, who offers them a place of belonging, a sense of acceptance, who says, come experience my radical love and grace and forgiveness. I want to invite you to experience Jesus. And that is so important to understand. You're not inviting them to behave a certain way. You're saying, come and just, and just meet Jesus. Just meet him. And how are they going to meet him? They're going to meet him through you. This, so there's this story in the Gospel of John. Uh, we call it the encounter with the woman at the well. We don't know her name, but Jesus uh, walks up to a well. There's a woman there. They have this encounter. They have this conversation. They go back and forth. He says some things to her, and she realizes this man um, is offering me something that I've never been offered from anyone else. Love, grace, forgiveness, compassion, kindness acceptance. So she runs back to her village and this is what she says. Come, come, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the Christ? Could he be God's chosen one, the anointed one? Everyone in town went out to see Jesus. She didn't even know if she believed in Jesus, but she said, I want to invite you to him. I want you to come and see what he's all about. When you invite people to come to Jesus, you're just saying, come, come meet him. Listen, I don't, I don't have all the answers, but someone that I know that I've encountered has a lot of answers. Maybe he has all the answers. I don't know, but he's got more answers than I have to a lot of the questions that I have. So come and meet him. But if you're going to invite people, listen, if you're going to invite people to Jesus, it means inviting them into your life. See, Jesus lived some 2,000 years ago for about 33, 34 years. Uh, but after his death, burial, and resurrection, he ascended to heaven. Now he's seated at God's right hand. But God sent his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to fill his believers. So if you're a follower of Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And what is a name for those who are followers of Christ? The body of Okay, let's try that again. The body of, 
right. See, Jesus isn't here physically anymore, but we are, we're his body. So if you're inviting people to come and meet Jesus, experience Jesus, ask questions about Jesus, explore Jesus, kind of say, who, who is he? What's he all about? What is he offering to me? What does he teach? How can I learn about him? They learn about him through you. So you're, you're inviting people, come and check out Jesus. Come experience life change. Not only can he change your life, but I want you to understand what life change looks like because he's changed mine. See, people can't experience life change. If, if you say, I want to invite you into my life, come over to my house, hang out, have dinner with me and my family, and you start yelling and screaming at your wife and, and, and treating her like yesterday's newspaper, just kicking her, and, I mean, and then you say, Jesus can change your life too. Wow. <laughs> I've never treated my wife like that. It's, I guess if I become a Christian, I can. I mean, what? No, your life has to be demonstrative of what a changed life looks like. So when someone says, am I seeing Jesus in you? Listen, you're not gonna lead every person you meet to a relationship with God to that moment of faith, but every person you meet should see what a life changed by faith in Christ looks like. So if you're going to invite people in, imagine, um, imagine a scale, one to 10. One being someone who has no point of reference to God, the things of God. They don't even really know what the Bible is. Maybe it's a religious book, uh, but the characters in the Bible, anything about Jesus, the birth, death, resurrection, Old Testament, they don't know who Moses is. They don't know anything. 10 being someone who's a sold out, on fire, committed follower of Jesus Christ. Everyone is on that scale somewhere. In between are things like, well, I, I know some of the things that the Bible teach. I believe in the existence of Jesus. Uh, I don't like the church because I think it's full of hypocrites. Um, I think some of the things that Christianity teaches are good ideas. Somewhere in there, uh, on that scale, everyone is positioned. So what you need to do is you need to know where the person that you're investing in is on that scale. Because some people may be ready for an invitation to come to church on a Sunday morning. Somebody else is like, I don't even know who Jesus is. So what do you do? You take a step, what I would call pre-evangelism, right? Jesus comes sometimes say, hey, could you just come hang out, come eat food? And then you want to stay and listen to what I have to teach? Great. If you don't, leave. So there are times you just have to invite people in. That's why we're having a Christmas concert later in December. Just invite people. Come on, we're going to sing Christmas carols and Christmas songs. Just come and have fun. It's why we have things like uh, family fun days throughout the year, right? Bounce castles and food and just come and have fun, have a good time. Realize that not all Christians are crazy, just about half of them. So um, if you're, you're like, I've never been to a fun day, yes, you're one of the ones that we don't invite. You're the crazy ones. No. <laughs> but come on out. Invite them to come experience Jesus. Man. They can have fun. They can laugh. They're normal people. We have all kinds of things like that. Find that place. Know where they are and where can I invite them? Where is that opportunity to invite them into my life? Invite them to um, the candlelight service. Invite them to the Christmas service on Christmas Day. You say, nobody's coming to church on Christmas Day. Someone who's sitting at home by themselves with no one around may just accept an invitation to a Christmas service 
on Christmas Day. We have things all throughout December we call a Christmas with a cause, ways that we not only have fun here and do some fun Christmassy things, Christmas sweaters and, and giveaways and all kind of uh, fun stuff, but we also have an outward focus. How can we impact uh, our community nationally, internationally, all those kind of things? So invite them. Say, hey, come on out with me on uh, this Sunday. We'll have a great time. Invite them. We just started up a 55-plus group. Um, so for all of you that are 55 plus, uh, let's hear it. All right, there you go. Uh, they, were, they were louder and more of you at the first service. But you can, you can join that. You know what they do mostly? They just have fun. They make food, they eat, they hang out. I said, I want to join. They said, you got to get older, Pastor. I, I said, I should be able to join any group that they offer food. Uh, and they said, no. Um, but you know, jo join that... Uh, Come to the remembrance service. Someone who's living uh, and has lost a loved one or maybe lost a loved one this year or years past, say, come on out. It's just an opportunity to work through uh, grief because you don't ever move past grief. You learn how to move forward with grief. Grief doesn't end. Uh, invite them to all those kind of things. Invite them to the Thanksgiving camp out. Whatever it is, find that place. Know where they are on the scale and where can they uh, maybe be open. Where would they maybe be open to an invitation? It's one of the reasons, listen, you walked in this morning and you probably saw like we had a lot of wind and the, all the glass blew off the front of the church. Uh, uh, what, what we're fixing to do is a remodel. If you were here with us at our vision night back in the spring, you heard about this, but we're remodeling the exterior of the building because we want to make it more inviting so that when you invite people or someone drives by and they say, that feels like a place that's welcoming. So to give you an idea of what it's gonna look like, so we, we just did some prelim work this past week, but starting on tomorrow, we're gonna be taking the, the front off, uh, redoing the entire outside of the building, and it's eventually gonna look like this. Now this is an artist rendering, so if it doesn't look exactly like that, complain to Pastor Andy. Um, <laughs> but we're so excited because we want to create an inviting atmosphere of an inviting place. Now, here's the thing, and, and I'm smart about this, okay? Um, next Sunday, our plan is that the front doors will still be open. You'll be able to get in and out and use the front doors. It's possible if the weather doesn't quite cooperate that we're going to get you in from sideways and backways, and we'll get you in. We'll lower you through the ceiling like the Jesus friends. We'll get you in here, but here's the thing. Uh, the next two weeks, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be in town, so if things don't go well, I'm not, I had nothing to do with it. It's all Pastor Dale. And he doesn't live far, so I'll, I'll give you secret directions to the Batcave. Um, no, but, but the whole reason we're doing that is because we want to create a place where it feels inviting, it's a sense of invitation, there's an open seating area, and you can say, hey, come check out my church. So... When it comes to investing and inviting people, there's a few things I just want to touch on real quick. The first one is this, be ready. You never know when that opportunity is going to be there. But what I know is this, our lives are finite. We're born, and unless we're alive when Jesus comes back, we're going to die. We have a limited scope of time in which to invest and invite in, uh, people. Invest into them and invite them into your life. And you never know when that moment's going to be there when they're ready to accept an invitation to church, to dinner, to lunch, to coffee. And if you miss it, there's never a guarantee you'll get another opportunity. I remember years ago now, uh, there, was an, there was an opportunity and I missed it and it haunts me to this day. 
neighbor's um, uh, name was Ryan. They, we lived on a cul-de-sac. It was a new community, so we we're both new to the area. And we, we, Jamie and I, my wife Jamie, we invested a little bit in them. We got to know them a little bit, but we didn't really fully invite them into our lives. And one day, I'm out doing some work in the yard and busy. Everyone's busy. Busy with kids, busy with life. Um, and he comes over and we're standing in the front yard talking and he says, hey, um, do you guys do uh, marriage counseling? And I said, yeah, of course we do. He said, okay. And then I went on my way and he went on his. And I, at that moment, what he was saying to me is, I need help. I need help. And I was so busy that I missed that moment. And I didn't even realize it we continue to talk and see each other. He never brought it up again. And about 18 months later, he and his wife are divorced. And I thought, I don't know if it would have been different, but man, I missed that moment. Hey, let, let's talk right now. Whatever I'm doing, it doesn't matter. Get Taryn, that was his wife's name. Get Taryn, let's just, me, you, Jane, let's sit down and talk, what's going on? And I missed that moment. You never know if you're gonna get it back. The next thing is this, keep it simple. Listen, you're inviting people. Come and meet this man who's changed my life. Come and meet this man who's told me everything I've ever done. Keep it about Jesus. Just, just talk about what Jesus has done for you, what he means to you, how he's helped you, how he's changed you. Don't start the conversation now. If you're interested in Christianity, first of all, uh, there's the, the days of creation. We have to start there. And, and then we have to talk about end times. What do you believe about, you know, when Jesus comes back in the millennial reign? And how long is it literal? Is it figurative? We have to get all these ducks in a row. Just make it about Jesus. Come meet this man who's told me, he's changed my life. I want you to meet him. If they ask complicated questions, answer them as best as you can. But also say, I don't, that's just my opinion. I, I might be wrong. I don't know. But let me tell you about Jesus. But don't Christians believe? I don't know what every Christian believes. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. I heard that churches, I don't know, there are crazy churches out there, but let me tell you about Jesus. Just keep it simple. The next is this. Focus on your experience. Listen to me. Please hear me. Please hear me. Please hear me. I believe that the Bible is the transcendent truth of God. I believe it's God's word and it will lead us into all truth about who God is and reveals his love for us through his son, Jesus Christ. I believe that. But I also understand that we live in a world that doesn't believe in uh, absolute truth. And so if you start by saying this is truth, you're giving people something to debate. If you start by saying this is my experience, you're giving people something to consider. This is what I've experienced. I've looked at life, I've looked at worldviews. To me, Christianity seems to be the most consistent. You know, I, I don't know everything, but I know where my life was, how I was heading, where my marriage was. I, it was. I didn't have a purpose, I didn't have a direction. I just felt like I was just wandering aimlessly through life. And Jesus changed all that. I just know that I, I've looked at other belief systems and every other one that I've ever looked at tells me I have to somehow earn grace, forgiveness. I have to somehow be good enough to deserve it. And in Christianity, Jesus just offers it freely. All I have to do is believe. So talk about your experiences because it gives people something to consider. The next is this, ask 
questions. There are over 200 questions that Jesus asked that are recorded for us in the Bible. He may have asked hundreds of other ones. 200 questions. Ask poignant questions. Because when you ask questions of someone, it makes them explore and consider truth for themselves as opposed to you saying, this is truth. So you just ask, hey, what do you, where does the teachings of the Bible fit into how you live life? What do you believe about Jesus? Do you even believe anything about Jesus? Here's one you could ask. How do you know if what you or someone else is doing is right or wrong? You know what most people say? As long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Say, okay, well, then here's my question. Let's say um, you have a friend and they're in a car accident. And they had told you uh, through the window, don't save me, but you know you could save them. If you save them, you're not doing what they want. How do you define, define and determine what's right and what's wrong? Is it just your idea? Is it his idea? What if we have a disagreement on what's hurting someone and not hurting someone? So just ask questions. Don't debate, just ask them and listen to their answer. And you know what you do after you hear their answer? Just say, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I'm, I'm, it's not the way I see it, but that's interesting. Don't try and convince them why, how they see it is wrong. <laughs> You'll just debate. Okay, and the last thing is this. Do not force things. Listen, this is the hardest part. We think we're sitting at the, the table trying to negotiate a contract and close the deal. I got to get you to sign on the bottom line. If you die tonight, will you? You don't have to close the deal. You don't have to lead everyone you meet to faith in Christ. You have to expose everyone you meet to what a life of faith looks like. So don't force things. If someone doesn't accept the invitation, say, okay, that's fine. What the, the goal is to invite them into conversations and if they don't want to have that conversation, if they say, I'm not interested, thanks for the invite, I don't want to come, say, that's fine. Leave the door open so that they may come back and say, you know, I thought a bit about what we talked about, and I'd like to continue that conversation. But if you scare them off, if you slam the door, if you say, now or never, then there may never be an opportunity for you to have a follow-up conversation or for someone else. So don't get angry, don't get mad. You're inviting them in to your life. And here's the thing. So you start talking and they're open to a conversation. Don't force things. So what I mean by that also is um, when the dialogue becomes your monologue for all that's good, right, and holy, stop talking. When their eyes glaze over, when they're looking to the door, trying to find an exit, they don't care if they have to go through the emergency exit and they're standing there like a caged animal going, oh my God, will they ever stop? What you can't say is just one more thing, brother. Oh, you've got to know. You say, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. <laughs> go, go, I'm sorry, I talked too long. You think if I just say one more thing, it will somehow magically convince them. Just stop talking. I know this is hard for me. Um, you're all like, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> stop talking and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. So, if you're gonna invest and invite people into your life, then you have to learn to look for those opportunities to make that difference. Now, here's the thing, and this is what's amazing to me. When it comes to a sense of urgency, what's important to us, we never have to be convinced is urgent. So let me give you an example. If 
I say to my family, let's go for ice cream. Let's go right now for ice cream. I don't hear anybody say, I don't know, Dad. We need to pray about this. Uh, No, it's always a good time for ice cream, right? Because it's important to us. We don't have to be convinced it's urgent. Or let's say um, you're walking down the beach and someone screams out, save that drowning child. We don't say, I, I need to really pray. Is God calling me to save that child? No, we re- react. We jump into the water and we save them. If we can't swim, we find someone who can, but we do something. We don't sit there and go, I really need to consider this. How do I present the four laws of swimming? No. We just go in and do what we can to save the person. So Jesus asks us, he says, this is what I'm asking you to do. This is the most important message. And we start to say, well, I I don't know. I really need to think about this. But this is what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Now is the right time. Now is the day to be saved. In other words, there is no greater time than now. There is no greater time than now. There is no greater time than now. Don't wait for urgency. It is urgent. It is urgent. Listen, nobody is guaranteed next Christmas. So invest in people now and invite them now. If what we have to offer is the greatest message in human history, and I believe it is, then we have to say, come and experience Jesus. Come into my life. Let me show you what a transformed life looks like. Listen, we're not offering another religious option. We're not simply offering uh, your best life now. We're not simply offering five steps to a better you. We're not uh, offering people uh, just a, a, a belief system. We are offering them a relationship with the living God who promises to transform them from the inside out, to radically love them, accept them, change them, transform them. And we say, I, I don't know, I really need to really need to know how better to do this. You do it by investing in people and inviting them into your life. Everyone, just about everyone I know has someone they can look back on and say that person was pivotal, the most pivotal person in getting to me, getting me to where I am today spiritually. See, you were that person's one that one person that they prayed for, that they cried out for, that they, they invested in, that they invited into their life, into their home, into their kitchen, and said, let's talk. I care about you. You were their one, so here's what I know. Everyone, everyone, everyone should have their one. They should have their one, that one person that doesn't have any faith, that one person who's wandered away from the faith, someone who's unchurched or dechurched, who's been wounded by the hurt, by the church and hurt, whoever that is, who is that one that God has placed on your heart that you say, I need to reach? Go to the outermost parts of the earth, praise God, but what about your Jerusalem? What about that one person? Who is it? It means setting aside your religious rules. It means investing in them, inviting them to coffee, taking them out to lunch, opening up your life to them, bringing Jesus to them and bringing them to Jesus so that in you they see a transformed life and they say, that's what I want for myself. Everyone can point to that person. And I can tell you story after story after story of one person who reached one person who has impacted family after family after family. Marriages, parents, children, 
all changed because one person invested and invited their one. So my question is, who is your one? Who are you going to begin to invest and invite? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, and God, I'm asking by your Holy Spirit, God, pour that name into our hearts. God, their face, burn it into our minds. God, that we would be restless until we take a step and begin to invest. That we wouldn't be able to just put our heads down at night until we begin to invite them into our lives to experience who your son Jesus is. God, life is quick. Eternity is forever. God, help us, help us, help me to identify that one and to leverage everything I have to reach them for you, to move them one step closer to your son, Jesus. So just begin to pray. Ask God for creative ways to reach that one. Just begin to ask him. Say that name in your heart, in your prayers. Begin to pray for them. And as you're doing that, I just want to say, for some of you, for some of you, now is the acceptable time. Today is your day of salvation. Today's that moment when you say, I want to experience that changed life. I want to experience radical love, acceptance, grace, forgiveness. I'm hurting and I've hurt. I'm wounded and I've wounded. I've damaged people and I'm damaged. I've been sinned against and I've sinned. And here's the great thing. God says, all you have to do is come to me and I will do a radical work in your life. So if that's you and you say, I want to accept that that gift of salvation, either for the first time or you're one that wandered away so far from God, you're embarrassed by the state of your life. Here's the thing God's waiting for you and he set you up. You're here this morning and he says, come home, come home, come home. So if that's you and you're joining us in person, just slip your hand up and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. This is that day. This is that moment. If you're joining us online, click the button that says, I commit my life to Christ. And now whether you click that button in the chat, whether you raise your hand or not, I'm going to ask everyone, would you repeat this prayer after me? And if you mean these words, the exact words don't matter, but if you mean these words, you're entering into a new life, a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I come to you now and I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for my sins, the way I've hurt others, I've hurt myself, and I've hurt you. Take it all. I give it to you. I lay down my life, and I receive new life in Christ. The old has gone, and the new has come. God, thank you for your grace. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit, that I could live for you, that I could tell others about you, and that I would spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. God bless you. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, when we finish here this morning, please come forward. We wanna celebrate with you. We wanna encourage you on your next steps with Jesus. Get a Bible into your hands and help you know how to pursue him with everything in you. If you prayed that prayer online, click the connect with us button because we wanna help you as well because being a follower of Jesus is not meant to be done alone. I'm gonna invite everyone, would you stand to your feet? We're going to continue to worship God through a few more songs. But here's what I'm going to invite you to. Uh, 
we're going to sing a song now, I Still Believe. And I just sense that, um, that God wants to move in some people's lives this morning. So as we sing the song, there's going to be prayer teams up here. And I believe God wants to move uh, supernaturally, bring healing. Last week, someone shared that uh, they, they had a family member that had tumors all in their jaw. And, and so we prayed and they just shared with me this morning that they've already begun to, to dissolve. So praise God for that. Um, I, I don't know why God heals sometimes and doesn't heal others. I, I can't explain that to you. God is bigger than me, but I know God is big enough to still do miracles. So uh, I just sense in my spirit that there's someone who's got a leg issue. And they're, they're, so if you've got your uh, issue in your leg, your right leg, I don't know if it's a knee, whatever it is, I believe God wants to heal that. And also someone who's got a blood, some kind of issue with their blood. I don't know what that means, but it's just a blood issue, a blood disorder. Um, so if you've got either of those or anything else that you'd like prayer about, as we sing this song, let's join our faith. Because as these words say, I still believe, I still believe, I still believe. Let's worship God together.